listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One. Ignition sequence start. See, Elijah Wan has David Robinson. Just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three in it. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Launchpad Podcast presented by Clutch City Control Room, your home for all things Houston hoops. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisMCGMedia. And tonight, for this emergency podcast, I'm joined by two excellent co-hosts in Mr. Justin Levine. You can find him on Twitter at JustinLev and Miss Britt Wilbert. And you can find her on Twitter at Britt Robotista. So, guys, listen, uh, we have a lot to talk about Um First of all, let me ask this because I don't want to be rude. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> Britt? <laughs> <laughs> See, um, it, that's exactly why I wanted to throw the question out there because that's the crux of it, right? We're kind of having a hard time deciding how we're feeling, right? So we're doing this podcast um, and, and we want to talk about uh, some potential roster um, not transactions, but some potential roster moves later. And we're going to talk about um, a report that came out from uh, Tim McMahon from ESPN today. And we, we have a lot of things that we want to talk about, but I think the biggest thing and where we have to start guys is the departure of general manager, Daryl Morey from the Houston Rockets. So let's just start. How are you guys feeling? I have to say, I, well, as of recording, we uh, I, we just watched the Astros win a game. So, you know, if you're a fan of the Astros, that may be slightly happy. But overall, when it comes to the Rockets, uh, I feel um, personally devastated. <laughs> and I usually don't feel that way about, you know, sort of front office decisions and moves. How about you, Justin? Um, so, look, I... I'm obviously upset uh, as a, I'm a Northwestern alum. So I, I had a lot of pride in the fact that Daryl was, who was also a Northwestern alum is in the, wasn't, wasn't running the front office for the Rockets for 14 years. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny now that now uh, the two Northwestern alums uh, in Houston sports, uh, both Jeff Luno and now Daryl Morey no longer <laughs> running their team. So now I am, don't have that uh, ability to, to boast about, unfortunately, as a, as an alum, but Justin, you know what this means, right? We have to get you elevated and ASAP. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'll just start brushing up my resume, I guess, uh, for general manager for the Houston Rockets. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, um, I think I, this was a move that I kind of always had in the back of my mind because, you know, they're. Daryl, um, James, and Mike D'Antoni were the synergy that all three of them had together. They were all on the same page with the analytics, with the style of play. 
uh, I couldn't, I cannot think of a more symbiotic relationship between a front office head, a general manager and a star player in the NBA than what the Rockets have for the last four years. And so when Paul was essentially traded for Westbrook, there was obviously a stylistic change there. That was sort of the first domino in my mind. The, the other domino in my mind are, is a couple of personal reasons for Daryl. Number one, uh, he being in Houston, I know both of his kids are now no longer uh, in Houston schools. They're both uh, in college. Uh, his son is at Northwestern. I think his daughter is at NYU. So from a personal standpoint, there was really nothing really holding Daryl back from doing something uh, different. And that's the first thing. The second thing is that obviously Daryl is tied so deeply to James. Uh, you can't really, they're sort of inseparable in my mind. And with two years left on his contract, I knew that Daryl was in my mind, Daryl, I didn't think Daryl was going to stick around past Harden's uh, career here in Houston. So I always kind of had that notion in my head that if eventually he would, uh, depart at some point. It's just obviously it's sad to hear it happen sooner than I expected. Um, but those are my initial reactions, and I'm not devastated as, but I'm I am obviously upset about it because the Rockets were the second most successful uh, franchise after the Spurs during Daryl's tenure, and never had a losing season. And while they didn't have a championship you got to look back at the last decade the only two teams that really won the championship outside of, or the three teams outside of the Raptors um, were teams led by LeBron, the Golden State Warriors or the San Antonio Spurs. So it's hard to win a championship. It absolutely yeah. is. And only one team can do it every season, of course. And Houston, I mean, all most teams, all they can ask for is to be in position to try to win it. And Daryl Morey did an excellent job of giving his coach a roster that could do that. So, Britt, let me ask you, when, when the alert first came across your phone, I know you're in the middle of your workday, and you see that Morey has decided to, and I'm quoting here, step down. What, what was the first thought that ran through your brain? So the first feelings that I've had when I heard the news that Daryl Morey was stepping down were um, exploited build, so I won't include those, but I think what sort of shocked and surprised me, it wasn't so much that um, Morey left, is that, that it, he left now. I felt as though there wasn't really any indication, um, like Justin said, you know, it, as part of the intro. I think we all knew that he would eventually leave um, and eventually leave either around the time that Harden leaves at the same time or when, um, you know, or, you know, slightly after, but to have that happen, you know, so soon after the finals and with no real indication other than, you know, a lot of Twitter speculation, which didn't really have any concrete things to have, you know, to, basically wake up because currently I live in the Bay Area, so I'm two hours ahead or behind um, from Houston, and I was just getting up and about to get ready for work, so to get that notification and see that he had stepped down, that really just, like, shocked me to the core. Um, that's really all I can really say that um, isn't, like, you know, has cussing. 
<laughs> All right. So here's what I want to ask you guys, and I'm going to pose this to both of you. Uh, Brittany, I'm going to start with you. When you think about the Maury experience from start to finish for his time in Houston, what are your overriding thoughts as a fan of the Rockets? Was it, was it a pleasant experience? Did, did it leave a bad taste in your mouth? Now that he's gone, when you think about Daryl Morey, what are you going to think about? I have to think about all the positives. I mean, Justin said it outright that the you know, the Rockets, every single team season that he was on the staff as general manager were over 500. They had the second best record besides the Spurs. And, you know, because the way to win a championship is difficult, only one team out of 30 can do that every season. There isn't that trophy to show that, you know, Maury has in fact had that type of, you know, success outside of the MVP that Harden won and his executive of the year that he won as well. So I feel like, you know, even though there's a lot of bitter taste, especially I, I think surrounding 2018, um, it's mostly happy thoughts because I feel like there was a opportunity for Maury to just, um, you know, it was right after T-Mac and Yao left the teams for, you know, um, because of, you know, another opportunity for T-Mac and for Yao because of retirement. Um, the team was in a really low spot and he had every opportunity, um, you know, to a certain extent because Les Alexander, who was the owner at the time, he, you know, he could have, um, he probably sort of forced him to not rebuild or do a tank job. Um, but he had every opportunity to, to do so, but he didn't. And he got the team to sus or, you know, almost the greatest amount of success in, you know, Rockets franchise history. Uh, so I think it has to be mostly happy thoughts. Justin, do you agree or do you want to give Britt some pushback there? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, Daryl Morey uh, made the Rockets relevant and um, that can't be understated. I mean, I, I, I'm old enough to know what the Rockets, you know, the, the Carol Dawson years. And there were obviously the, in the nineties were obviously a great time for the team uh, during the Olajuwon and Drexler years. But, you know, there was some, there was a period where the Rockets were obviously, you know, they, they didn't contend and, and, you know, that they, they got Yao Ming, but it, you know, there was that whole era with Katina Mobley and Steve Francis and Daryl Morey, came in and uh you know he was obviously a general manager that you could be proud of and because he did so much for the game even though he was not a traditional basketball uh you know veteran so to speak i mean obviously came from a consulting background went to went to mit sloan for business school so obviously very non-traditional and 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 in a lot of times when you look at uh how how things change in, in life or in industry or, or business, it's always an outsider or not always an outsider, but it can be an outsider that sort of comes in and looks at things at a fresh perspective. And that's what Daryl did when he became general manager in 2006 and really, you know, ushered in obviously the whole analytics era and um, really looked at the game uh, differently compared to all the other general managers in the league. Unfortunately, the league eventually caught up to him. And so the, 
the mathematical advantage that he had created eroded over the years, but that advantage was so uh, important and, 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 you know, instrumental for in getting the team to contend year, year in and year out. And that's what's incredible about, about his career here in Houston is that he, I liken him to, and I'm, I'm obviously, I have a business background. So I liken him to a, to a value investor like Warren Buffett, for instance, who is effectively, you know, making the most out of what he has and finding undervalued, uh, you know, finding, finding players that are undervalued by the league and making the best of them and really being able to milk the most out of those players. And that is something that has always been one of his greatest successful or one of his greatest uh, points of success is that he, I mean, look at, let's just take this here, for instance, I mean, Ben McLemore, I mean, he was, you know, you know, he was on his way out of the league and he turned him into a 40, not him personally, but his, his ability to identify him and realize that he worked in the system, he turned him into a 40% three point shooter. So there's stories of that. So many stories of that throughout his career with, with the Rockets of, you know, Shane Battier is obviously probably the most famous scenario there. And the New York times wrote a great article about him back in 2008, I think about how he, how he defended and, and uh, you know, so there, there are stories like that throughout the, throughout the game. And obviously the biggest undervalued asset uh, per, uh, player that uh, Maury found was, was James Harden. And, uh, you know, he was the most, uh, no one thought he was going to be the top five player that he became. And Daryl was able to see that. So it's, nothing but great thoughts 2018 or 2018 was was certainly the so unfortunate because in my mind if if chris you know doesn't pull his hamstring and the rockets go on to win the championship which many people will test was was they were on their way to doing so then uh this story would have been written differently and that's what makes me you know, makes things a lot more unfortunate is because of just a single instance in a single moment in time, the, the path diverged, so to speak. All right, guys, we got to keep it moving. I know this is a a pro rockets podcast, but I want to ask each of you, give me the team and one sentence as to why, where would you guys like to see Maury end up in his next venture? I would have to say Boston and because they have a similar philosophy that, that the Rockets do. Okay. Justin. Uh, I actually, I'm of the opinion that uh, Daryl is someone that doesn't necessarily need to, he, his skill set is so transferable uh, beyond basketball that I, I don't know if he, comes back to the game of basketball, at least temporarily. I could see him doing something outside of the game for a bit and then ultimately maybe coming back. But if he does come back, I don't want him to be in the Western Conference. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. So. All right. Um, uh, Justin, there was I, I, there was some feelings that you wanted to share uh, on, on some of the front office moves that Houston has had to endure over the past few seasons. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I, I, it's not so much moves. It's more so just observations. I mean, there's obviously – you look at uh, – uh, there's been what I call a brain drain uh, from, from the front office, and, and that maybe that's not uh, – maybe that's a little bit of an unfair assessment, but, you know, it just shows how how great the, the front office in Houston is. I mean, if you look, the last two GMs that were hired, one was Gerson Rosas – who's now with the uh, Timberwolves and now uh, Monty Ellis is now with uh, Sacramento. So running their, running their organization. So there has been a little bit of um, on the player side, there has been, there has been uh, some departures that I think have added to uh, this regime change, so to speak. So I, I do think that, we're sort of entering uh, the next era for the Rockets front office. I don't know what that looks like, but there's a lot of players that are got a lot of guys that have been there for, for many years now. Uh, Stone, Raphael Stone, who's now going to be the new GM. He's been there since 2004, but I'm curious to see how the front office changes moving forward because you've now lost three of your top, uh, top people there over the last uh, three years. And that's not insignificant. I, I think that's very well put. Uh, okay, guys, coming up, we, we still have a lot more to discuss. Um, it's been a big day in, in Rockets news. So we're going to get to some of that other stuff coming up in just one moment. Support for this podcast comes from AT&T. 5G from AT&T is fast, reliable, secure, and nationwide. So should you switch? Well, historically, those were the reasons new tech was adopted. Neanderthals saw that fire heated things fast and made their caves secure from rampaging woolly mammoths. The ancient Romans saw that the aqueducts were a reliable and fast way to transport water, so they stopped carrying water jugs on their backs and adopted them nationwide. Oh, and uh, 1800s Victorians saw electricity light up rooms fast and be more reliable than candles blowing out. So they stopped bumping into walls and made it nationwide. Today is no different. Switching to AT&T 5G is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, historically speaking, it's smarter than candles, water pots, and hungry dinosaurs. AT&T 5G. It's not complicated. 5G requires compatible plan may not be in your area. See att.com slash 5G for you for details. And we're back here at the Launchpad Podcast, presented by Clutch City Control Room, where myself... And my co-hosts, Justin and Britt, we're discussing the big news day for the Rockets because we spent the first segment talking about Maury's departure and, you know, how that feels as fans. But, guys, we haven't even gotten into the news of the coaching search for the Rockets today. And that is that it, it looks like we're down to essentially three finalists for the Rockets job. We have... Jeff Van Gundy behind door number one. We have John Lucas behind door number two. And then potentially a surprising uh, late entry in current Mavericks assistant coach, Steven Silas. So uh, let me add, let me throw this out there and, and see kind of where you guys are at. Give me thoughts on, on these finalists. I, I don't pick, you know, pick where you start and, and tell me what you've got. Yeah, so I think when it comes to Jeff Van Gundy, I know a lot of people are very much against him. I'm pretty neutral. Um, I know he is a quote-unquote retread, but at the same time, 
I watched him during the FIFA World Cup because he was the coach of the men's basketball team as they were trying to fight for a Olympic game spot on the now postponed indefinitely potentially um, Olympic Games of 2020. He took a really young team of college, you know, college kids as well as, um, you know, men that have just um, graduated and were looking for spots within the NBA to, you know, a, a win in that cup. So I think that, you know, there are hesitancies when it comes to his game, but we have, he seems to have changed quite a bit since he has been, you know, for extended period of time since he left Houston, a commentator on NBC slash ESPN. Uh, he, I, I think I would be okay with that. John Lucas, we know, well, we know that he is very much a favorite of Westbrook and Harden. I hope that if he is the option that he can be just as hard as what is needed for them. Um, that's all my thoughts, but I also could say that it's potentially a cheap move by Tillman, and that's probably really mean to say, but it's potentially a cheap move. And then when it comes to Silas, I am positive about him. I think the main thing is that he has experience in a, you know, a culture with the Mavericks. Uh, he is, you know, that system is basically a clone of the rocket system now so it may not necessarily be a you know fundamental change but a new voice there so I think that's really what my thought process is when it comes to the three finalists what about you Justin um yeah so I'm kind of uh with the calculus change a little changes a little bit now that Maury's gone and what I mean by that is that you know I, I keep going back to Harden and Westbrook's contract. It's, it's, you know, they're both two years long at this point with a third year, with a third player, third year for the player option. So, you know, there, you got to bring on a coach that is going to be comfortable with the fact that, you know, both of those players uh, may not be around in two years or perhaps even sooner now that Maury is gone and that um, seems like there's going to be some changes within the organization. So you don't want a situation like Billy Donovan in, in Oklahoma city where he just didn't want to stick around for the rebuild because the Rockets will have to rebuild uh, pretty soon. Uh, you know, it may not be this year or next year, but at some point over the next two or three years, it's going to have to happen. And so I just don't know if a coach is going to be comfortable to come on board and with knowing that sort of uncertainty, but beyond that, I think of the three, uh, I think I don't, I, I like John Lucas. I think he does a great job in player development, but I don't think he would be the right choice for head coach. Uh, he hasn't coached since the, I think since the nineties with the Spurs or maybe it was early two thousands with, with some other team. I can't remember. Uh, Van Gundy is a great basketball mind, obviously very defensive oriented. So uh, that's obviously something the Rockets have missed uh, over these last couple of years or so is the, is the defensive element. And uh, Silas, I like because he's young he could be sort of the Rockets uh, Nick Nurse, so to speak, uh, you know, young, up and coming, smart, smart coach, uh, has had a ton of assistant coaching experience and is ready for the next 
the next stage in his career as a head coach. So, and I think he'd be someone that would be comfortable knowing that the Rockets could potentially be transitioning uh, into a rebuild over the next two to three years. Whereas with Ben Gundy and maybe Lucas, uh, I think they're guys that, you know, maybe not, may not have the patience for that, so to speak. So uh, I don't really know. I don't really have a good answer other than uh, probably, I would probably lean towards Silas just given where the Rockets are with, with the announcement of Maury's departure today. Okay. That's, that's absolutely fair. I, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit and by a little bit, I mean a lot. And I think here's where I've kind of come down and that would be Lucas would be the third choice on this list for me. Now, this was something that I was talking about in the group chat earlier. And I want to throw this comparison out there uh, for the listeners on the pod. I got to thinking about the potential Jeff Van Gundy hire, and it feels a lot like the John Gruden hire by the Raiders you had this previous head coach who turned TV analyst, got super comfortable in the role, and has to be coaxed into returning to the coaching ranks. And it's something that a lot of fans, you know, fans of football felt that potentially the, the modern NFL had passed John Gruden by. And I've seen some fans express that same fear in regards to Mr. Jeff Van Gundy. But so far, though, the results for Gruden have been promising. And so if the similarities continue, then Jeff Van Gundy actually might be a better hire than what is going to initially be believed by a lot of folks. And here's the thing. It's a lot harder, I believe, to build a successful NFL team than it is an NBA team just because of the sheer amount of players involved and the turnover with the Rockets. I Justin, you, you brought up an excellent point in that Harden and Westbrook's contracts are what they are. But if you have a guy who's willing to come in to a team with an established superstar and really give it everything, then I think Jeff Van Gundy might be a great hire. That being said, I also really wouldn't mind Steven Silas because it, just like you said, Justin, he's young. And Britt, you pointed this out too, you know, the their style is so similar to that of the Rockets. Because he is younger, there might be a little bit more of a willingness to adapt, to improvise, uh, to adjust you know, lineups and rotations, things of that nature. And honestly, I, I think that with the departures of both MDA and Maury within the same offseason, we have the potential of this roster, not necessarily in terms of players, but in, maybe in terms of play style. It could look a lot different next season, but that's something that really intrigues me going forward. So I think my personal vote, would be Silas, Justin, it kind of sounded like that's where you came down as well. Yep. Britt, what about you? If you had to pick between the three, one name, give it to me. I would say Silas as well. Okay. Okay. So we've got three for Silas with Jeff Van Gundy, a close runner up, just like much of his tenure here in Houston as well. <laughs> um, so – Guys, so with, with Maury being gone, 
we learned that the new general manager of the Houston Rockets is going to be Mr. Raphael Stone. Justin, you alluded to earlier the fact that he's been with the organization for a few years now. Here's what I want to ask you guys. Britt, I'm going to start with you. What does Stone's ascendance to the GM position mean for the construction of this Rockets roster? Yeah, so I think we have to reference a recent report that came out today, in fact, from um, Tim McMahon on the Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook trade. That quote is, um, I'm quoting, that trade was made because Tillman Fertitta wanted it made. He thought Chris Paul's contract was the worst he ever seen in business or sports. Hearing that, and, you know, Tim McMahon is a very well-known and very connected source within the Houston organization now. That gives me pause for concern. A lot of concern about if Raphael Stone is going to have the ability to construct a roster without the tampering that Tillman may or may not do if, you know, if something happens. So, um, you know, to throw a question back to the both of y'all, um, what are your thoughts about if Tillman is involved in future management decisions? Do you think he's going to actually do that? Um, or is he going to sort of let go of the micromanagement reins? Justin, I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm definitely gonna let you start with that because I have some <laughs> thoughts, but I'm gonna let you kick us off here because that's that's a loaded question that yeah. Britt threw out there. It's definitely a loaded question. Uh, you know, we'll never know uh, how much Fertitta is um, inserting himself in the process uh, on, the, on the basketball side because it just will we'll never know as a as an audience. Uh, so it's it's a tough question to to answer. My my feeling is that. Tillman is, if you look at how he's run Landry's for many years and how he's run all of his businesses, he is someone that uh, prides himself of having control over those entities. Uh, he's obviously, you know, those Landry's was once public, went private. He is uh, the only, uh, really the only ownership uh, of Landry's. I mean, he owns it full sale. So, and it's the same case with the Rockets. I mean, even when Fertitta was, uh, struggling during, you know, COVID with Landry's and everything. Uh, there was a report, I think, and it was in Texas Monthly, and someone asked him the question, would you ever sell a stake in the Rockets to, you know, create more liquidity? And basically it gave the response of, you know, over my dead body because effectively Tillman is 100% all about having complete ownership. If you look at how he financed the team, he bought the team not by having outside equity owners or equity investors, but he financed it by basically taking out a loan against Landry's to put up to finance his equity to buy the team because he did not want to give up ownership in that respect. So my feeling is that he's a guy that will exert control. The question is how much control will it be down to, you know, making player decisions, which I hope is not the case because that would not be a good outcome. But I do see him having a fair amount of control over key hires like the head coach, um, which I do think maybe that maybe him and Maury sort of clashed on that potentially. Uh, but I do see him having control over that decision. And uh, outside of that, I mean, 
he's obviously going to have control over who he puts in the front office. And, but if to have player control, I hope that McMahon report, I'd heard it before. I hope, um, I hope it doesn't continue to be that way uh, because, you know, I kind of think about Mark Cuban's first years as owners of the Mavericks. He was very hands-on too. I'm hoping in time that maybe he'll be less hands-on and, and focus more on, on his core business with Landry's, but I just don't know. It's he, he's obviously a wild card at this point on, on where, where the, where the team heads from here. I think I'm, I'm going to jump in here. Um, and I hope that's okay with you guys, but sure. it seems to me that Tillman has a case of new owner syndrome, and I'd like to trademark that as soon as we jump off the pod here, if <laughs> we could. Um, but you know, a lot of these guys, they, they come in, they buy a team and obviously in order to buy a team, you have to have money to do so. I'm not giving you guys anything new with this, but what I am getting at is that these guys acquired their money some way, unless you're Dolan and you got it from your dad, but you know, another team, not my business, but Sarver as well. Sarver as well. So Tillman, he made his money obviously with all of his different ventures. And this is a guy who came into the league having been so successful in everything else that he had done that I believe that he believes that he can do the same things in Houston with the Rockets that he was doing with his casinos and his restaurants and all of these other ventures. And I think that's what's starting to show through here a little bit. And that maybe that's why he's a bit too hands-on. Justin, you alluded to Mark Cuban who came in kind of the same way. And I would actually, I would equate the two in, in terms of maybe a little bit of the, the personality and what it was like for them coming in Cuban, as, as you alluded to, came in very hands-on and then learned to kind of let go of control once he got people in there that he trusted to make some of those decisions. And I'm hoping that Tillman does the same thing. Maybe once he realizes that an NBA team cannot be run the same way as a seafood restaurant, he'll get some basketball people in the front office, which it looks like there's going to be some sort of continuity since, you know, we're just elevating stone instead of going outside and looking for a GM elsewhere. And if that happens, if he can learn to, I don't want to say back off, but if he can learn to recuse himself from some of the minutia of the Rockets, that could be a good thing for this team. Because, you know, Maury came in, as we all know, during a period of the Rockets that maybe wasn't so great, and he helped turn it into a championship contender. And if you have a GM who knows what they're doing, give them that control to make those decisions. And honestly, if you have an owner such as a Dolan who insists on micromanaging, then you've seen the results that the Knicks are going to give you. And I don't want that to be the case for the Rockets. So if he trusts Stone, if he likes Stone, if he believes in Stone, then hopefully that means that he will let Stone be the GM. So hopefully he'll be a Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Look, listen, okay. This 
I'm supposed. Yeah, that's that's I'm a good one. <laughs> that is that's a great one. But I'm supposed to be the only one on this podcast doing puns. Okay, that's my corner. I will not have either one of you on it. So there, sorry, there's a couple, I did that last time too. Remember? You absolutely did. And I, honestly, I'm I'm gonna go to HR about it if if you don't stop. Um, <laughs> We guys, we're running out of time here, but I have a couple of other things that I want to get to before we jump off of here. And Justin, you you brought this upon yourself, okay? This next question because <laughs> you brought up Westbrook and Harden's contracts earlier, okay? Yep. Maury brought Harden in. We know that now that we've lost. I say we now that the Rockets have lost Maury and MDA in the same off season, what do you guys think the possibility of a hardened trade demand is over the, over, over the course of the next season or two? Um, I think it's, it's higher now than it was before. And, and the you, reason you mean that, higher now than it was seven hours ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, I, I tend to agree. Things uh, yeah, can I think change the, very I think fast the in the NBA. That, Things exactly. I was going to say, like, things can really – I mean, look at what happened to OKC. I mean, the minute Paul George signed with the Clippers last season, that team just went to complete rebuild overnight. And uh, I, with Harden and, and the Rockets, they're – I would say they're, the three biggest contracts are obviously Harden, Westbrook, and Eric Gordon. I would say that Westbrook and Eric Gordon are negative assets at this point. And so – they're only positive at, you know, the only pot, only player that you're going to get a lot of value in return is Harden. And I just, outside of that, everyone else is, you know, Covington, a lot of the other players. I mean, you're not going to get much. You'll make get a player or two, but you're not going to get a haul like what, you know, OKC got for Paul George and, and Westbrook. So if the team wants to rebuild sooner rather than later, uh, then I do see a possibility of being much higher than it was before now that Maury's gone. Britt, what do you think? I think it's extremely high now. Um, and really, the next week is going to be the deciding factor. If uh, I mentioned this on Twitter, but it feels like a canary in the coal mine, and maybe we can even say MDA's move um, was that as well. If Harden has, you know, sort of made a decision that he needs to move on in order to win a championship, I don't blame him, but that is going to cause a rebuild. And I've always said, um, and I'll probably say it a million times again, that Harden, um, you know, there was probably one to two seasons left in this quote-unquote window. Um, I think Maury's move has definitely reduced it to one, if that. Let me ask you guys this. With two factors – one with Harden being the face of this franchise, because make no mistake, it is still his team. It is not Westbrook's team. And number two, with the actual presence of Westbrook, do you guys think that those two factors could be enough to keep Harden in town for the remainder of his career? Or is the allure of potentially joining elsewhere and winning a ring, do you guys think that might end up being too strong in the long run? Um, I mean, yeah. I, I think it depends. Um, I, I'm more positive about Westbrook now this season. I don't think he's necessarily a, a negative asset. Um, I mean, we're hearing 
thinks about the Knicks wanting to trade for him. So he's not exactly a negative asset. Um, so I think the question is really on Harden, whether or not he wants to stay or not. Um, and if he does, then Westbrook could probably still stay around at least for one more season. If he doesn't, then, you know, I don't blame him. Um, I just hope folks can prepare themselves for a extensive rebuild with a um, owner that isn't, or a governor who isn't exactly what I would call the best one. So, Justin, what do you think with the question I posed? My thought is, Britt is correct. It's going to come down to what Harden wants. And here's, here's the thing that we're also not really talking about. I mean, Harden's really had, you know, full control of the reins for the last eight years. And what I mean by that is obviously the, the play style has centered around him, but it, it's completely centered around him in the sense that we've, the, the team has completely re- relied on his offensive brilliance. And, you know, he, as a result, he, you know, he hasn't done any off ball work, for instance, you know, he, he is, uh, you know, he, he ISOs a, a great amount, you know, and a lot of times, a lot of plays of the Rockets involve him ISOing. So the question is, if he does get traded, what's that going to look like? Well, how are, how are other teams going to integrate them into, into a new offensive system? This system that has been built around Harden has been, He's become very accustomed to it. So I could see another scenario where he just says, you know what? My life is very good here. Uh, my offense, you know, I, I am the center of this offense and I'm never going to have it better anywhere else in terms of, you know, being able to have that uh, freedom. Now the question is if whoever comes in as coach, which goes back to our original question, uh, earlier question of if Silas versus Van Gundy, you know, Silas is someone that is doing, similar things in Dallas with, you know, that the Rockets did with D'Antoni. So Silas would probably be the, the choice that would make things the easiest with Harden uh, as well as Lucas. If they brought in Van Gundy, then that means that to me is the next to quote Brit uh, canary in the coal mine, because that means that they want to move away from a Harden centric system. All right, guys, I've got one more question for y'all before we get out of here. And so I want you to give me a one or two sentence response, if you can. Where does the team go from here? And what I mean by that is, with the promotion of Raphael Stone to GM, do you think that this is going to be a roster that stays the course? Or do you see Stone trying to leave his imprint on the roster almost immediately? I think it depends on Harden and what his decision is, as well as what Tillman does. So if Tillman has learned his lesson, similar to, you know, the analogy that we made to Cuban and sort of backs up, backs off and allows for the basketball operations and for Harden to do their thing, then I feel like Harden will stay and the team will probably be fine, at least for a year. Um, If he starts meddling and, and or Harden wants to go, then um, I am very pessimistic. Justin? I don't know the answer. Uh, the, the conservative answer is, uh, or the optimistic scenario is that uh, we have two more years of, of Harden's window. And the more pessimistic scenario is that the Rockets are going to rebuild in this offseason. So somewhere in between. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I, I got to say that 
this has been a thoroughly depressing podcast with the two of you. Um, but you know what? Uh, it's out. It's also been quite fun. It's it's been fun depressing, and that's something that I appreciate from the two of you because you really know how to bring that out of me. So, guys, that's gonna do it for today's episode. So, if you guys haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you guys appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysis, speculation, guest voices, and the camaraderie of our team, please consider clicking the link in the description to check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. As always, thank you guys so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back for our next episode of the Launchpad Podcast covering your Houston Rockets.